just had read for us in 1 John. And we are in a study here in the auditorium class. And I got a phone call from David about a, not quite a week ago, about the ensuing quarter as to what we're going to be teaching. And his, suggested what, his suggestion was to have a follow-up study on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, particularly in 1st John, the subject of love. And I said, 26 classes. I, I love love, <laughs> and there's a lot to talk about, but that's, that's a whole lot to talk about in that time. He said, well, we can do it. And, and then I was reminded that we have the summer series, and so I thought, well, 13 classes, that's very, very doable, um, where you can get something thorough and yet deal with the subject matter in such a way as to not just beat it down so over much. It's never... Oh, overestimated the subject matter, but, uh, but from a study standpoint, I'm, I pray that it will serve us very well, but it's been inundating my mind as a result of that discussion and thinking about what kind of lessons to be able to teach, and I couldn't help but think about our future study in the next coming weeks in 1 John chapter 4, and wanted to share that with you from a sermon standpoint, because not everyone in this room is, is in our class, but again, I want to read 1 John. I want to read it because I wanted to slow down and let these words soak into your hearts to see what John is saying. And I want you to see the purpose that John has for those who is receiving this letter because we had that same purpose in our lives today. I want to back up again, uh, but not to, from verse 7, but from verse 1. And I'll read this chapter. And I want you to see what John has in store for his fellow disciples. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And, who, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. And we know, or excuse me, and we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. What a beautiful text. In the midst of this text is this summary that contrasts love and it's fear. And when you look at this contrast, fear is looked upon not as inconsequential, not as illegitimate, but as immature. I have said a number of times, at least here I have and and elsewhere, I'm sure, that when I became a Christian, it was not because I loved God. I didn't even know him the morning I became a Christian. I just began to know him the morning I became a Christian. But my reason for becoming one was not because I love you, God, and I want to spend eternity with you. It was so that I would not go to hell. I was afraid that if God exists, And he's offering salvation. It was not to bring me near to him and have fellowship with him for an eternity. How wonderful the thought. I just didn't have that thought. My thought was, I didn't want to go to the bad place. And when I was confronted with my sins in that sermon, I realized I was guilty as charged. And that's where I was headed. I didn't want to go there. I was afraid of God's wrath. And I'd like to think that when we read Scripture, particularly um, Old Testament passages and even New New Testament passages about the Old Testament, there are times in which we see the wrath of God in contrast to His grace. And, And some might have, I think, a misperception of our God, that somehow the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. He's the same loving God who's always loved us and always desired us. But what we do see is an immaturity on the part of the believer because what we see is a whole lot of fear. And that's why I love David. David not only has that healthy fear, but we see the genuine love that he has for God and we read it of, of, of that in the Psalms. But, you know, many of us as children, we grow up and we know this difference. Especially children have grown up and are old enough to make the transition from fear to love. I know of a lot of children. I remember my mom growing up. My grandfather would let my mom and my uncle and my aunt do whatever they wanted to do. And my grandmother, four foot ten and shrinking as I knew her growing up, I remember she was a stick of dynamite as a mother. 
And because of a variety of things that had happened in her life, she was very seemingly to me as a grandson sour. She whipped that stick out every which way, beat on my mom and my uncle and my aunt. They wouldn't get away with anything. There was a definite fear of what, of who I call Grandma Chi. But you know, as I got older, I was no longer afraid of Grandma Chi. Although she could put fear just by looking at you in that certain way that she would. Julie's going, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I got to love Grandma. And I got to appreciate what seemed in my younger years as very harsh punishment. There was once when I shamed my family because I quit baseball. Grandma didn't talk to me for six months. Not only did she not talk to me, I was not allowed into her house. You just don't shame your family. And when I was in college, I saw the importance of honoring my father and mother. I just didn't know it in those terms. And I remember writing an article in my collegiate class about the discipline my grandmother had instilled in me that seemed harsh. But you know, Hebrews 12 talks about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I got to love my grandmother for that style of discipline that was given to me. And I appreciated it. But I went from fearing her to having a love for her. And it was a very different relationship. And because of that different relationship, I could tell grandma I love you and I could love on her. Whereas when I was growing up, I didn't want the fear of grandma on me. I'd heard the stories. I saw some of the fruit in my life with her. And, and so many children are familiar with this. I would venture to say that my sons are at that point in their life right now. <laughs> fear dad. <laughs> I'd like to think that as our daughters now are teenagers going into their 20s, that, that that fear has turned into this love, that relationship. I hope that the love was always there, but you know how some children can be. <laughs> like, Dad, don't, don't. I mean, I mean, sometimes I'll say children, and they're like, so, I don't want that. I want them when I say children, they're like, Dad. <laughs> Not that fear. <laughs> so fear is good to a certain point. To a certain point, that's it. While fear is good, love is perfect. There's something much more about love. And we are told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. And he qualifies this love and says, perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. I have a healthy, I believe, healthy respect and fear for my God. But I've seen my walk in the Lord change to the point where love casts out fear. I have confidence to come before my God and His throne, realizing I need Him every hour. But He has promised me and assured me that if I abide in Him, I can come to His throne. And I can abide with Him forever. This is the relationship God wants for us to have through Jesus Christ. This is the relationship that we are told is called perfect love. 
And I would suggest that there are a number of things in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm only going to be looking at, at a couple of these things, or about three of these points, about what perfect love looks like. But I want you to not just stick with your mind here in 1 John chapter 4, but I believe this coupling of love and perfection is found throughout Scripture. And I know that I'm in a minority. Oh, I, I forgot to put in 1 Corinthians here. Sorry. You'll, you can add that into your notes if you take notes. But I want you to see this hand-in-hand relationship with the idea of perfection. Not perfection so much as sinless perfection, but perfection from a standpoint of maturity. That, I believe, is this concept found in New Testament scriptures that I believe shows itself in the life of those who are growing up in the Lord, who go from immaturity to maturity, who go from fear to perfect love. And that's what I want you to see. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to see how this is the case. In the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the kind of heart that a person needs to have if he's going to enter into the kingdom, if he's going to receive and inherit the kingdom of God, and if he's going to flourish in the kingdom of God. And then he contrasts that which the person who has a good and noble heart with those who are just out of fear, keeping certain laws and not breaking certain laws. So that if you can remember what he is talking about, he goes, you know, you have heard that it was said, you shall not do these things, but I say to you, and he gets right at the heart of the issue. I want to pick up in the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to read with me beginning um, here in verse uh, 43. In the last of these statements, and by the way, I I see this almost as a crescendo to all that he was talking about in these illustrations of you have heard it was said. He says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you heard. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Did you get the the link? He's talking about perfect love. That you will love, not just those who love you. That's easy. Anybody can do that. As long as you're my friend, I love you, and and I'll love you back because you have this love for me. But when you're my enemy... That's hard. It's very difficult. And we had that discussion this morning in our our class. He says to them, you're no better than tax collectors. And tax collectors are the worst in the minds of a Jew who looked at these individuals from a treasonous standpoint, despised them, even though they were fellow Jews. He says, what more do you do than others who love that way. Perfect love loves your enemy, prays for your enemy, even when they persecute you, even when they spit upon you and despise you. They 
cast your name and slander it. But he says, if you love this way, you are sons of God. That's what he's saying here. Sons of your father in heaven, verse 45. And thus, as sons of, of your father in heaven, he says, therefore you shall be perfect. If you love this way, if you have perfect love, you can love your enemy. You can bless those who persecute you and use you. That's perfect love. Going on, we are told um, that if we were to individually come before the throne of God, that's the idea of perfect love. I was bringing up in point, and we'll make this in, in our Wednesday night class point, that there are many Christians, some of whom I personally know, who have a view that, in my estimation, is not perfect love. They have a healthy respect for God. There is no doubt in my mind that they love God and strive to honor Him in their daily lives. But they don't feel they could even pray to God. They feel worthless. Their words, not mine. If I pray to God, why would he listen to me? I'm just a lowly sinner. They would listen to you because you guys are faithful Christians. And he'll hear your prayers, but not mine. I'm a nobody. And I don't know why God would even love me. I want you to know that when you have perfect love, you can boldly, confidently, not of yourself, but in the one who loves you and gave his son for you as his promise. You can come before his throne with that confidence in him and know that he does, in fact, love you, that he blesses you in your daily walk, that he guides you, and that you can have an eternity with him. We're also told in Ephesians chapter 4, collectively speaking, about what perfect love looks like. And what you see is a manifestation of brethren where everyone is edifying one another through service, right? Verse 11 following, God gave some to be, or some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, so on and so forth. It was for the work of the edification of the body, we are told. And that when every joint, every part of the body of Christ does what it's supposed to do, we are told in verse 15 and 16, that this body becomes a perfect man. That's a picture. Edifying itself in love is the last words of this whole paragraph. Do you not see how love and perfection go hand in hand? It's this concept of a mature believer in Christ. That he serves not out of the fear, but out of love. It's not like, I don't want to mess up. It's, I want to please you. I want to do your will. I want to honor you because I love you and I respect you. That's what we have. So with that said, I know I'm in the minority when I'm going to give this passage. I know that many brethren believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when talking about that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Believe that that which is perfect is the Bible. I'm, I'm in the minority, minority. I don't believe that. Nowhere near the Bible is even in reference to 1 Corinthians 13. It's never mentioned, and all of a sudden it comes in and goes out of the context. I believe love is the epitome of chapter 13, and love, I believe, is that which is perfect. And he concludes that in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. 
And the greatest of these is love. The entire chapter deals with how brethren are supposed to treat each other. Chapter 12, chapter 14. And this parenthetical chapter is in reference to the fact that if we have perfect love, then we have no need for anything else. We have God's revelation working in our lives. It does not matter if you have all faith and all knowledge. We're said all that is vanity. It's useless if you don't have love. But when you have love, you keep the commandments of God. When you have love, you love your neighbor. When you have love, you edify your brethren. You're mature. You're perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. You become that mature man when all of us do the same thing. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And there are a number of other passages that we can read, including 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, that shows the perfection of love. Love is that perfect bond of unity we're told in Colossians. Love is the, the, the expression of what God has shown to us through Jesus Christ and what we show the world. And this is the thing about perfect love. The whole point is, is this, and I believe we see that in chapter 4. When we go through chapter, um, chapter 4, we see God being the source of love. That's what we read. God is love. And he shows us his love by bringing his son into this world so that even if we have never seen the father, those who walked the earth when Jesus was alive, they saw the father when they saw him. That's why Jesus even said to his own disciples, you're saying you've not seen the father. How long have you been with me? If, if you know me, you have seen the father because you've seen the love that I've shown to you. Well, what was Jesus' life like? We have a song, I think, about with uh, the Tesh's son. I forget who was, and I think um, Anthony is on there as well. It's Narrow Way, the group. And they have that song. I forget the title of it, but it's that the, the poor may be rich. And, and one part in the first stanza, that the blind may be seen, or that they, the blind can now see. And this is what the Lord has done for me. It was very symbolic all the miracles that Jesus did to show the gospel in action, to show the love of God. And that's why John 3.16 is such a huge passage for so many. That God so loved this world, right? That he gave us Jesus. That's the picture. So God is a source of love. And he sends his son to be love for mankind by dying on the cross. And it was a sacrificial love. And that's why we're talking about here's how perfect love manifests itself. And I, I kind of glossed over that a little bit. But that sacrificial love that we see in Jesus Christ is now seen in us. Because guess what? Jesus is no longer here. No one has ever seen the Father. But you know what people can see? That the world can see? The love of God perfected in your life. That's what they can see. And that's what will allow someone who's not a believer to become one. I have heard it said, and I pray to God that many of you have heard it said of yourself. I love seeing what you have in your life, Mitch. And I want some of that. <laughs> Those to me are the most beautiful words I could ever hear. It encourages me to keep on showing the love of Christ in my life to those that I come into contact. 
Because they get to see God. That's why Jesus says, shine your lights that the world may see your good works. Why? That they may glorify God. That's why. That's the whole purpose of the church. That we are the express wisdom of God sharing the good news and sharing the love of God in their lives. That's why people can believe there is a God. Contrast this with fear and love. If you are a Muslim, you serve God out of fear. In fact, that's exactly what they instill. You will become a Muslim or else we will kill you. That's as plain as can be. Now, not all Muslims will say that. But you'll hear it often enough. Whereas in Christianity, in Christ, no condemnation. In Christ, you love one another. You don't kill one another. <laughs> you love one another. You bring life, not death. Because that's what love does. This world needs to see that kind of love. It's perfect. And here's how you demonstrate it then. You love the way God loves. That's what we are told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, just as God loved us, so must we love one another. It's a sacrificial love, just as we had read earlier in, in verses 9 through 11, and we share then that sacrificial love. We share the good news, and we live it out in our lives. It's simple. We're going to try to spend 13 weeks on it, but it's simple. To know love, we can easily see it. But to see it in action, it's powerful. In our class this morning, I think Ben was saying, um, and someone else might have been saying, or Georgia was saying, and Cindy was mentioning, you know, it's hard to love someone when it's not reciprocated back, when they hate you or they abuse you in any which way. It's hard. It's hard because I'm a selfish person, and I, and I see that difficulty in my own life. When someone mistreats me, I want to mistreat them. But when the love of God is overwhelming in my life, when it controls my life, then I pray for them. I speak kindly to them. I don't speak evil against them. And I hope the best for their soul. Because I want them to be saved the way God has saved me. That's demonstrating perfect love. That's what we have. I want you to know that if you don't have that kind of love in your life, you may be coming to church every single sermon, I mean sermon, service, but you may not have that kind of love. But that's the kind of love God wants for you to have. And he doesn't want it for some of us. He sends his reign on everyone, the just and the unjust, so that even the unjust would come to learn of the blessings that God has in store for them. And that, that being a, just a taste of eternity. And so if you're here and you haven't had that love, I pray that you'll come to know Jesus Christ. The love he gave you was that he died, rose again, and gave you a promise that if you love him, you can die with him, raised to walk in newness of life in him, have no condemnation. Not only no condemnation, but that you can boldly go now before the throne of God. If that's what you want, then I'm begging you right now, turn away from this world. This world is nothing but fear and hatred and wickedness.
But in Christ, the love of God can perfect you. If that's what you want, make it known. We'd love to have you be buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. And if you need our prayers, by all means, come forward. You're invited. Come forward and we'll pray with you and for you right now as together we stand and sing.